Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. So I was very excited when I went to my mailbox this week and found that my latest batch of review books had come in. Among them was one that I've really been looking forward to, The Desert Prince by Peter V. Brett. This book is the first in a new spin-off series which follows Brett's previous series of five books and tie-in novellas, the Demon Cycle series, which began with The Painted Man and ended with The Core, which came out about four years ago in 2017. I absolutely adored The Demon Cycle. The Painted Man, in fact, was one of the very first things that I bought with my very first paycheck as an archaeologist. So it's really interesting to be sitting here in 2021 with a review copy of his next big series sitting here on my desk. But because it's been so long since I read The Demon Cycle, I thought it would be interesting just to take some time to do a bit of a series review on what I remember as the strengths and the weaknesses of that series leading into this new series launching off with The Desert Prince. Like I already said, I really loved the series. The the Painted Man probably was my favourite out of all of the books, with perhaps The Daylight War coming in as a close second, The Daylight War being the third book of that series. What I really, really appreciated about The Painted Man was the innovative magic system and how it really began me thinking about different ways to combine elements of a magic system in order to produce unexpected results. And I will be going into some spoiler territory here, for it is a 13-year-old book now after all, and the series has been over for a number of years as well, so I feel that we've got a little bit of leeway to talk in some more concrete terms about parts of the narrative and the development of the world throughout the entire series by this point. The idea of taking the common archetype of, you know, the farm, the peasant farm boy in a medieval-like society heading off and becoming powerful and fighting to save the world isn't a particularly bold choice for a narrative. But like anything else, when you've got something that takes those common elements and does something very interesting with them, It just codifies and reminds you why this formula has worked so well for so long for so many authors. As a character, Arlen Bales, the central protagonist of the Demon Cycle series, is deeply engaging and interesting, not only because of just his character, but also the way that he manipulates the systems of the world, both magical and social. He's a character with a very strong core who is always surging towards his goal and purpose. And when he's faced with difficult choices and the options for an an easy way out or a horrible hard road that aligns with his morals, he never really has a moment where he hesitates. He always aligns with his character morals and he'll fight through anything, and that sheer determination to stay true to what he believes in is a really thoroughly engaging character trait, which plays off very well against 
the other central characters of the book, which who are all modelled to have similar purposeful drives towards their goal, but who are also shown to compromise their own moral certainty at various points of the narrative. And sometimes that works out really well for them on the surface level, because they do get to advance towards their major goal. It still works for their character, but you can see and you can read it chipping away at their soul sort of little by little every time they are compromising their ideals in order to advance their goal. And it's a very interesting narrative structure to see play out across multiple books with multiple characters telling the same story from multiple angles. For those of you who aren't familiar with the books, I'll give a very quick overview here. The world where protagonist Arlen Bales lives is a world that is constantly under attack by demons. They live in the darkness below the earth, but when it is dark on the surface, the demons are able to come out and just rampage across the surface of the world. This has taken human society and basically wiped it out from what used to be a vast, expansive human population are now huddled down into small communities which have to live behind the protection of their magical wards, glyphs and carvings and runic writings that come alive with the power of demon magic and act as barriers that the demons cannot cross. When Arlen watches his mother get literally torn apart and devoured in front of his eyes and is unable to save her, he vows that he is going to find a way to stop this from happening for good. Arlen Bales takes to the road with only a small travel-sized ring of protection that he can put around himself at night. Over the next decade and a half, Arlen learns new ways to fight against the demons, uncovers ancient runes from humanity's much more glorious past, and turns himself into a living weapon to fight against the demons by tattooing runes directly onto his body, allowing him to punch demons to death using their own magical power against them. However, Arlen is not the only character in the world who is determined to end the demon threat. Jardia, a leader of the Krasian Empire, who have been fighting hand-to-hand against the demons every night, runes or no runes, wants to bring his way of life to the entire world and teach people to have the courage to stand up against the demons. Seems like these goals should be in alignment, no? However, when Arlen uncovers a massive secret that will change the tide in the war against the demons forever, the ancient runes that are specifically designed for combat, thought to have been lost to history forever after the fall of humanity. Jardia also sees the power those runes hold for purely human interests, betraying Arlen and stealing the runes for himself. Thus, a war begins on two fronts. Humanity's fight against the demons across the entire known world, and the more personal fight between Arlen and his allies, and Jardia and his allies, as both forces come at the same problem from different angles. 
It's a war that's fought on multiple fronts across multiple books, with multiple characters stepping into the limelight and having their motivations, their backstories, and their capabilities stripped bare by the narrative. So much so that it's very hard to get to the final book, holding a clear position on who is a villain and who is a hero in this scenario. The only true villains, it seems, are the demons. And by the end of the final book, humanity as a whole seems to have come to realise that, as our main cast make one final desperate push against the demon queens and finally wipe them from the surface or undersurface of the world forever. What really struck me about this narrative and about these books when I was reading them the first time so many years ago is sort of a two-pronged fascination. The magic system in this is deeply engaging, unique, and revolutionised the way that I think about my own magic systems in fiction. And secondly, the character exploration across these multiple books from these multiple angles is stunningly nuanced and developed really well. It's pretty rare to have a character who is a very clear villain in the first book be explored in such depth and with such alacrity that you find yourself hard-pressed to say that you would do anything different had you been in their place. And as much as I hated Jardia in the first two or three books, by the time we got to the end, I had to admit to myself that I wasn't too sure what I hated about Jardia was Jardia himself or what I saw reflected of myself in Jardia. When what I would like to think, the person I would like to think I would act like in these scenarios was Arlen, but I probably wouldn't. Firstly, I'd like to gush a little about the magic system, because for me personally, this is where pretty much everything about the series was an overwhelming positive. I adored the magic system. Runic magic is a very distinct and interesting flavour of fictional magic in and of itself. The idea of a symbol which can draw power from something and produce an effect based on what is written in the symbol is just really fun, and it lends itself to a lot of really cool applications. The idea that language is something that can be manipulated and can evoke something very specific out of something relatively simple is fascinating. And there was a big part of certainly The Painted Man, which resonated very strongly for me as a young, fresh-faced archaeologist. The idea of Arlen creeping into some ancient ruins and finding embossed on a sarcophagus a whole bunch of language that would let him then go on to draw real-world power through that knowledge was great. And the argument that Jardia had on the surface of reclaiming the spear where the fighting wards were embossed on, which Arlen had looted from a tomb from a culture that was not his, was an interesting point and a very interesting perspective even amidst the personal level of the betrayal. But it was Brett's continual reinvention of 
the same elements of the magic system that really gripped me. From the very, very start of Arlen's adventure, he was finding creative ways to use the set rules of the magic system in order to have an effect which was much more magnified than the magic system would allow or would seem to allow on the surface. The very first wound he gave against a demon was when something went wrong with the magic system. Part of the glyphs that produced his safety barrier was scuffed and it allowed an opening for the demons to come in. When Arlen repaired the damage, whilst under attack by those demons, the barrier immediately sprang back up. The barrier itself did not care on which side of the barrier the demon was on. And so the demon's arm, which was partly inside and partly outside the barrier at the time, was simply sheared in half. And Arlen saw that and realised suddenly that there was a way to fight against these creatures that for so long he had been conditioned to expect you could only survive against. And the next major step in understanding when he realised that he didn't even need a weapon to fight against the demons if he could make himself into the weapon was incredible too, because it takes such a simple concept and ratchets it up a level that you didn't expect. And similarly, that went for weapons being embossed with specific runes, with bows and arrows being embossed with specific runes for specific effects, with headbands to protect against very specific types of demon magic, to the effect of absorbing too much magic from the demons through the runes which are attached to you or attached to something that you are holding and therefore basically attached to when that magic is when that rune is drawing magic out of the demon to activate the idea of feedback going into the person was a step that was completely logical within the framework of the magic system's rule set but that slightly left of center that taking it that sort of extra step or two and thinking beyond the obvious and it just made the entire thing that much more engaging and opened up some really interesting narrative possibilities, which the books then ran with. So I'm very interested to see how these elements are played with in the new book and the new series, The Desert Prince, because we took the very simple idea of a rune-based magic system for protection from the very first pages of The Painted Man and it was eventually spun into things like city planning being designed so that the entire city and the footpaths on them create a rune which draws magic from the core of the earth to activate at night. All the way through to legions of humans becoming demon slayers overnight when they got their hands on a magical weapon or a magical quill infused with a little bit of demon part that can, when you write in the air, produce a rune in the air. I'm really, really excited to see how it's played with now. Now that all that previous exploration has been done, and now that it has been developed out into this thing all of its own, 
what is going to be the next step in this book that takes it beyond the obvious and into something really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what Brett can do with that. The other thing I'm looking forward to seeing is what has happened to the characters across this 15-year time gap since the final book of the last series and this first book of the new one. It seems very clear from the blurb that we are passing the reins of protagonist on from the heroes of the first stories onto now the next generation. But while the narrative did an extremely good job at giving us a variety of perspectives on these characters and letting us explore their motivations and backstories and really getting to understand what makes them tick and why they undertake the actions that they do. It's also the part of the new series here that I'm the most trepidatious about because those character explorations didn't always gel perfectly with the magic system or the world building in the previous series. And there's no point in me beating around the bush on this one. It's really just the single character of Leisha that I'm trepidatious to see how they're treated in the new series. I feel like this is a slightly difficult conversation to have and to have legitimately because I suspect uh, that there's been a fair bit of bad faith commentary on some of the characters in the Demon Cycle and specifically about the character of Leisha. And while it's very tempting and it's very sort of fraught uh, these days to throw around the phrase Mary Sue, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't quite disappointed by the development of Leisha's character over the entire series arc. I felt she was really great in the first couple of books of the series, but once Inavera and Rena also really started to get explored as characters with their own competencies and their own arcs, it did feel like Leisha's character was given an overabundance of excellence in every area all at once. Because it seems specifically with the horror magic and Inavera's entire character arc spending decades learning how the Crazian magic system worked and how to manipulate the demon bones very specifically and in the com- cover of complete darkness to make things like the horror dice and the other artifacts that they use. It was galling to have Leisha as a character who up to that point in the series seemed to be focused on the scientific method and herbology and to be really set up as a great counterpoint, a great thematic counterpoint to Inavera's magic sphere of influence and Renna's, you know, battle sphere of influence. Leisha kind of came in and then just overtook the narrative in becoming an expert overnight in sort of both of those things. Because with her defense of Cutter's Hollow, she became a more effective demon fighter than Renna. And instead of taking years of intense study to really get the horror magic understood and to be able to do it, she sort of did that overnight. And again, I feel like there's probably enough bad faith argument about the character out there to make it difficult to critically assess, but it's something that built up bit by bit for me personally across the entire series, just the way that that character was treated. 
until you finally got to the birth of her child in the final book of the series. And for me personally, it was very disappointing to see the missed opportunity of making a really potentially interesting character Leisha's child instead of someone else's. Because that child was born a hermaphrodite, which is something that I have personally never seen in a fantasy setting before. It seems like it's a really interesting exploration for the genre. And it's phenomenal to see inclusivity like this as just a normal part of the landscape of a fantasy book. However, being Leisha's child sort of robs that character from being a normal part of the landscape in the book. Because Leisha was treated as so special by the narrative, and she was so good at everything all the time, it makes me really worried about how this character, her daughter, is going to be treated, particularly in The Desert Prince, the new book in which she seems to be one of the front and centre characters. Especially considering that there were a number of other children born at the same time at the end of the last series, the authorial decision to make Olive both Leisha's child and a hermaphrodite almost robs the character of their inclusivity and kind of makes it seem that in order to be a part of this world, they had to sort of justify that by being Leisha's child. It's something that I really hope gets explored in the new book and the new series and really becomes something that you can look back at once you've got the additional context of getting to know this character and seeing their place in the world and using that to look back on the authorial decision to make Olive Leisha's child. And I hope that when that comes together, it becomes a moment of now I under- now I thematically understand what the author was doing here and not a matter of, ah, well, this justifies why this inclusivity happened in this way. So I am really, really keen to see where it goes in The Desert Prince. But unlike the development of the magic system and the development of the narrative, the development of character in this specific instance is something that gives me a little bit of pause and it's something I'm a bit trepidatious to see explored in the new book. I certainly hope that Olive, as a character, doesn't inherit some of the problems with the way that Leisha was written and therefore ends up again being robbed of their due exploration as a character in their own right with their own successes and failures their own expertise and just the shit that they're not good at and learning to navigate both of those things throughout the course of the novel so that was my overlong and rambly look at the demon cycle series in anticipation for the new book the desert prince I'll be popping a review of The Desert Prince up in a few weeks' time, and I'm really looking forward to having a chat about that one as well. If you've read the series and have a dissenting opinion, then I would absolutely love to hear that and continue the discussion. You can reach out to me on Twitter at 
TC McManus. That's McManus with an M-A-C. You can find me on the Terry Talks Fiction Facebook page or on the Talking Fiction Discord server. I know this is a series that many people are probably familiar with, at least the first book of it, because it made a huge splash when it came out and has resonated in fantasy reading circles ever since. If there is someone out there who's a real fan of Leisha's character, I'd particularly love to have a discussion about that considering I ragged on her a little bit in this retrospective. And I'd love to get into all the points about Inavera's character, which I was absolutely fascinated with and wanted to see having more page space. If people have got uh, <laughs> the interest to, do, to get into that discussion, definitely hit me up on any of those contact places. But until next time, I hope that you guys are reading or watching or playing something that's really interesting. And I look forward to talking about it with you again soon.